Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrell pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing. Man. And that's remarkable. Alex, I'd like to start the podcast by reading an ad that I took out in the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel this past week. I took out this ad and I thought that it would really it would really go over well. So can I can I read it to you? I don't know if you saw it. You don't get the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel delivered anymore. You're all on digital. Right, days, I, right. I do. I have their digital subscription. Um so so yeah, please uh grace us with this uh with whatever it is that you had to say. This is an open letter from the National Fans Union to MLB Commissioner Robert Manfred. Commissioner Robert D. Manfred, on December 2nd, 2020, you published an open letter to fans about the Major League Baseball lockout. Obviously, you never intended for the fans to respond, but we accept your invitation to the conversation. Fans don't need one-way declarations about your cancellation of the sport we love. If you're going to collectively bargain over how to best divvy up our money, what we really want is to be heard and respected. We want a seat at the table. You like the ad copy so far? Any notes? No, I think it's great. It's uh, it's very on message. Um, mm-hmm. It's pointed at all the right individuals, I think. And I love the, you know, the call to, to action of sorts, right? That, you know, I mean, it's, it's encouraging fans to, to rise up. And band band together, take matters into their own hands. Right. This is populism at work. Mm -hmm. Without us, decisions will be made with only the billionaire owners and millionaire players in mind. (laughs) Not the fans whose support makes the entire enterprise possible. With us, MLB has an opportunity to change the conversation and turn this labor dispute into an historic calling in of the group most often disregarded. It's time for fans to be part of the conversation over how our dollars should be spent and how our favorite pastimes treat us. To all fans of MLB or professional sports who agree that fans have been ignored for too long, please join us. Our strength lies in our numbers. It's time for fans to be more than spectators. Bravo. Let's get that seat at the table, Alex. We're storming in. We have Eric Adams and his SWAT team to bust the door down, Mm -hmm. and we're going to get our seat at the table if it kills us. That's how collective bargaining works. You just get an ad and then you ask for a seat at the table and then Congress goes right to amending federal labor laws. That's as far as I understand it. That's that's the process. Well, yeah, I think that if you determine that this deal may somehow impact you in in any way, impact how you consume baseball games or anything like that, you're therefore entitled to... uh, to a seat at the table, right? That's why that's why I sit in on Cheez-Its shareholder meetings, right? Because like I have a vested interest in the quality of the product. That's just it. How many boxes of Cheez-Its would you say that you go through in one month? In a month? In um, a month, yeah. Like if you go to the store every Sunday, do you need to buy yourself a new Cheez-It box every time? Usually, yes. I'd say I yeah. probably it's probably three, maybe maybe two or three boxes a month. Um, I think that that gets you a seat at the table. I think so too. 
Frankly, I think that gets you a seat at the board. Right. Uh, I mean, I'm giving them what, like a like a hundred fifty bucks <laughs> every year. Fifty hard earned dollars. <laughs> That's basically union dues at this point. <laughs> That's like 10 hours of work at what the minimum wage should be. Right, exactly. Before tax. I mean, come on. You're committing to the things you care about. Just like my national fans union that went over swimmingly on Twitter. (laughs) When I initially read about this, I thought it was the nationals fan union. Right. Um, And I was uh, first very impressed uh, that they were, you know, taking deciding to take a stand for all baseball fans and also slightly puzzled over why they chose the Milwaukee journal Sentinel journal Sentinel as their, as their venue of choice for this message. But I would, I would respect it either way. I thought you were just going to say you were surprised that there was enough nationals fans to form a union. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) These days. (laughs) No, I'm sorry. I think we have some nationals fans who listen to the pod. It's just friendly NL East digs NL East shots being taken not even worth it because there's not going to be any NL East when there's no Major League Baseball, which is the pace that we're going at here. Mm-hmm. Um, as baseball Twitter's friend Richard Staff put in our replies one time, I very distinctly remember him saying it like this as it relates to MLB and the MLBPA negotiating. He said, how does this affect me, the main character of reality? <laughs> <laughs> and that's what the ad reminded me of. It is, I mean, perusing their website is, yeah, I mean, it is very slick. It's, it's smart, you know, it's, uh, it's very, it's very direct. Um, Mm -hmm. They clearly understand that baseball is about the fans, ultimately, right? Um, In fact, they, they, they talk about the, uh, you know, these negotiations over how to split up the financial pie. And they ask the question of, Whose pie is it really? And the answer is, it's our pie, Bobby. It's the fans' pie. It's the Bugs Down Bunny. to the last Communist slice. Communist meme. <laughs> our pie. <laughs> Down to the last slice. Uh, really special stuff. Uh, made even more special by the fact that Craig Calcaterra, within hours, found out that the law firm that incorporated their LLC is also a law firm that represents like 15 MLB teams. <laughs> so it's definitely just a psyop. Right. <laughs> it's, it's, this is smart, you know, MLB's getting a little more savvy in their, in their plays, you know, they're realizing they, they can't, they can't count on the usual channels to kind of sow discord, uh, or they can't, they can't count on the, on the usual channels to, uh, to kind of in, inflame the the masses, so they're kind of having to to sow discord among their ranks, right? right. By by infiltrating us, the the fan. They're cutting straight from the, the typical mainstream national baseball columnist because that person has been, you know, their power has been degraded in society. They're cutting directly to taking out ads in physical newspapers and thinking <laughs> that that's going to get directly. To the people that they need to change hearts and minds. Oh, and also, don't forget that they have the Associated Press on their side now. So everybody who's reading a newspaper across the land is going to be on the side of the owners. I don't know about you, but I have joined their mailing list so that I can keep up to date with any actions. The National Fans Union? The National Fans Union, yeah. Did you you actually put your email in there? Yes, I did. Did (laughs) 
Oh, this is why I love you. Okay, we're going to talk about the latest in collective bargaining between Major League Baseball and the Major League Baseball Players Association. We're going to do some voicemails about that topic and some other topics at the end of the pod. But before we do all of that, I am Bobby Wagner. I am Alex Basley. And you are listening to Tipping Pitches. I can't wait until your email address is like harvested because you signed up for the National Fans Union. Yeah, well, I... The only thing that is ever going to pop up on your phone is calls from NYU to donate and emails from the National Fans Union. I still get... One time they called me like three times in one night. Like oh, I kept they call declining me, their call. They're calling me right now. No, not, like, <laughs> I, I know the number. 212-998. Oh, it's so bad. Yeah, no, it'll get harvested. But the good thing is that... Um, my email has already been harvested to death, you know, like it's right. so overloaded that like right. at this point, I feel like they're getting diminishing returns. Like you can't yeah. really package up my email You're and flooding sell it the to people because everyone already has my email. That's just supply and demand. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, should I create a, um, an email users union, right? Because I have, yeah. I have all the power as the person who take back your labor. Take back space in your inbox. Yeah, exactly. I thought you were going to say, should you create a blockchain for your email address? Like an NFT market for giving out your email address. Oh, there no, you Alex's go. email address is actually an NFT now. If you know what his email address is, you're not allowed to send emails to it unless you've purchased it on the blockchain. Right. This is how, uh, this is how NFTs work. You can NFT an email. Um, you it's can a, NFT a screenshot? It's a screenshot of the email. Yes, <laughs> it is 300 pixels by 1,200 pixels. Yes. It degrades in quality if you try to blow it up. Just What's letting the font? everyone know. What's the font? Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I love Georgia. The New York Times' very own Alex Baisley, Georgia. That's, that's right. Uh, and the great lady. We're just talking about fonts. We're talking about fonts and we're not talking about collective bargaining. Should we talk about collective bargaining? What is there to talk about? We could talk about fonts and probably end up in the same place. I don't know where to begin because for most of this offseason, you and I were talking about one, maybe two sessions of collective bargaining. And now they've met every day for the past seven days. We're sitting here to record this Sunday night. It's 9 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, they just finished meeting a couple hours ago and we are kind of getting some trickling information about what those meetings entailed and i think there are varying levels of interest in the nuggets that are coming out right now like we just got an evangelic tweet about how mlb is trying to tie getting rid of compensation picks or compensatory picks for free agents who leave they're trying to tie that which is something the union wants they're trying to tie that to the steeper competitive balance tax rates now this is all very confusing stuff it's it's been very confusing to try to follow along as both sides have, even for us, as both sides have put stuff across the table and it comes out on like a three-hour time delay from five different Twitter accounts. And it's like slightly, it's always like slightly different, the wording of it. And there's always, depending on what reporter you're reading it from, there's like Jesse Rogers, there's Jeff Passan usually comes off the top rope with like one or two tweets at the end of the night. Evan Drellick with a TikTok of what's going on. He's pretty like baseline you know, then you got not, your Heyman. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's nuts and bolts. He's just getting the facts out there. Then you got your Heyman. Who's like the league put this across. Everybody's psyched about it. 
everybody's really happy. They're all going to go get dinner tonight. That's Heyman's view mm-hmm. on the whole situation. And then you have Nightingale, who's like, they will meet tomorrow. And has no other information <laughs> at all. Um, so it's it's been a very kind of dizzying experience to follow along with what's being proposed. I want to start here, Alex. Saturday morning, the MLB Players Association, it was their turn to put together a proposal and send it back. And I thought they made some pretty big concessions. They went from 100% of year three players being arbitration eligible. That's where they started this whole bargaining process since the lockout began. They are now all the way back down to 35%, which is only 13% higher than Super 2 eligibility is at now or in the previous CBA. They compromised on a little bit further on the draft lottery structure that has been much discussed in the last week or two, which is basically saying, you know, they wanted if the top eight teams get the same draft lottery odds so that it's less beneficial to tank and have the worst record and get the best pick. And they signaled to the, to the owners that there was a kind of a meeting in the middle structure to the deal. And they came out of that deal. It was like a 15-minute proposal. Everybody was tweeting about it, saying they just offered this package deal to the owners. And just like an hour or two goes by, and it's like MLB didn't react well to this package offer. And I was excited in that interim period because I was like, clearly the two sides, some, someone needed to push the ball down the hill and start some momentum. And I thought, though I was frustrated that it had to be the players to do it because it's always the labor side that does things like that in this in these negotiations. And seemingly moving a lot, you know, like knocking that third-year arbitration eligibility all the way down to 35% from where they were most recently at 75%. That's a big move. Like that's a a good dozen couple dozen players not being arbitration eligible every year now. And then to immediately just have it stonewalled and then for the owner's next response to be no, 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 no on all of those things and we'll move $1 million on the CBT and keep the same penalties. That's when I, Saturday night, as I was kind of catching up on my Evan Drellick reading, my Evan Drellick tweet reading, that's when I was like, yeah, man, we're missing a, a good chunk of games in the Major League Baseball regular season. Like, there's no, there's no shot here. We're done. Yeah, it, I mean, we've been headed towards this for a while. Certainly the last 72 hours have given no indication that anything's going to happen before MLB's self-imposed deadline of Monday. As I think you mentioned we're recording this on a Sunday. So we, you know, we're kind of we have to to look into our crystal balls uh a little bit about about what might happen, but it it does feel like that the the end of every day kind of comes with some sort of admission that very little progress is made. You know, they talked on some on some uh, on some minor points, and there were concessions made in certain areas, but on the big issues, they remain far apart. They'll be back in the morning to try again, <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of what it's you know it's been our little groundhog day for the last week. Um, 
I mean, it seems it's this is the understatement of the year, but it seems very obvious that the owners are not actually going to move significantly in any of these areas, right? Like the uh, like the luxury tax. And I don't know when that changes. Like again, I I I maybe naively assumed that the thought of losing games which would negatively impact their bottom line would actually be enough of a threat for them, right? Given how much they've cried poor over the last couple of years. Yeah. And that doesn't seem to be the case. And honestly, it's it's possible that there is as much internal strife among the owner's side as there is strife between the players and the owners, right? Because you, there are obviously different interests um, on the league's side, small market owners and and large market owners very well could be yeah. differing on some of these major issues. Right. I, I forgot to mention the players did drop their their proposal on changing revenue sharing too, which you just reminded me of the fact that there are differences between small market and large market owners. And we just don't know about any of that. Like we don't we don't hear reporting on any of that stuff. They very effectively leak just that they are aligned and that they mm-hmm. are, don't go for the players' proposals. That's the only yeah. thing that ever comes out of that side. It is kind of remarkable that even when the league is not really moving at all on any of these issues, they still manage to piss off the players with how they do it. You know, like their their tact, their strategy at the table is often just so callous that you know, at at one point this weekend, it was reported that the players considered walking out on negotiations, right? And and they may not even return uh, on on Sunday, and, and that was, you know, I'm sure they were just feeling feels at the moment, right? But but the, this is a result of the owners trying to tie some of these uh, past agreed upon issues, like the universal DH, um, like the laugh draft lottery, tie them to expanded playoffs. And a, sh- a shortened period of time in which they can institute rule changes, right? This is completely out of nowhere. So, like, where do we go? Where do we go from here? I, I it's a fascinating question, and I, you know, I kind of wish that we had tomorrow to inform us on how we answer that question because, you know, I think as people are listening to this on Monday, or maybe you're catching up with it on Tuesday or Wednesday or whatever, and you know more than we do as we record it. But I think I wonder what like I genuinely wonder what Manfred is going to come out and say because they they will discuss they will bargain they will negotiate tomorrow and then they will have to basically say we're pushing the season back you're we're going to miss at least the first week of games or this deadline was fraudulent all along and I doubt that they're going to say that because that'll make them look a little bit weak and a little bit like they were posturing the entire time which is a bad look especially given that I think that we will remember this as the week that the owners lost a lot of people who were still hanging on to the idea that this was both sides' fault. They completely lost a lot of media people. And I think it was because of death by a thousand cuts, basically. You had the Braves, Liberty Media, uh, financial filings, which came out, showed that they had a $104 million profit margin in 2021 a year after losing $53 million in 2020, allegedly. And these are all like, obviously you have to take these with a grain of salt. They are reported to the SEC, but they are very general. So we don't know 
quite how they're accounting for expenses and revenue and what counts for all of those things. But to know that they made it back, doubled their quote unquote biblical losses from 2020 just goes to show that this is all for nothing. Like we're, we're, we're playing on a slanted playing field and the players moved like they blinked on Saturday and the owners were like, great, we're not going to do anything at all. And I think that a lot of people, I think a lot of people realize that this week. Like, I think a lot of people are fed up with the fact that MLB didn't propose anything for 43 days. They know that the Braves are making over $100 million in profit before depreciation. They, we know that the players are aligned in saying, we want to play. This is not that radical of what we're asking for anymore. And to be honest, I feel like there was a, there was a, a real valley and peak in the millionaires versus billionaires discourse in the past week because we saw players coming out and directly saying this is not millionaires versus billionaires we saw walker bueller's tweets which he eventually deleted which is dumb because he should have kept them up because they were right but we saw him tweeting things like this is not millionaires versus billionaires this is workers versus owners we're actually doing the thing that you guys like we're actually going out there and playing this and not that i think that every single fan like had a complete 180 enlightenment moment in this past week about how capitalism has wrapped its tentacles around baseball. But I do, I don't know, maybe it's just wishful thinking, but I felt a little bit of a tone shift. Like even if, even if you read Ken Rosenthal's column from Monday and then you read Ken Rosenthal's column from Saturday, he still threw in a couple nuggets, a couple bones to the league on Monday. And the one that he wrote yesterday, he was, he was literally using league in front of everything to make sure to not mince words about whose fault all of this was. Right. He, I, I'm paraphrasing him. I believe he said the league gave the players a collective middle finger, which is, which is not wrong, but maybe not the kind of thing we have been conditioned to see from someone like Ken Rosenthal of his ilk. I think you're right about the tone shift a little bit um, because it has been so, so blatant, so brazen the way in which owners have acted uh, with kind of increasing stonewalling and almost almost a sense of apathy towards the negotiations, right? When it seems clear that like the players are actually invested and and emotional about this and like actually care about getting a job done, right? They've been able to kind of telegraph that messaging to the public and the owners really haven't you know you don't hear from them which i think all any other time in the year i think that 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 serves them well right the owners keep their place kind of uh up in their castle on the hill and they don't have to have to talk about how they care about baseball or not um it's it's fine but like this we is should, our- we should bargain that into the next cba once a month every owner has to come out and give a state of the union on why they actually like <laughs> baseball i mean wouldn't it be something to hear owners try and talk about like how their team is actually doing? Yes. You know, like more like, ritual public embarrassment for the owners. Can, can we start like cold calling Bob Castellini and asking him about like Sonny Gray's projected FIP of next year or He's something? Like, I don't like know. That, the carrot you know? market is down. I got bigger right. fish to fry here, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just it just seems like I think people 
all of a sudden see that the owners are not serious, right? And the fact that they are effectively unable to come out and say that they are, I think, tells you that much. Rob Manfred is proving to be a pretty useless mouthpiece, at least in the last week or two, right? I think fans have rightfully called him on a lot of his bullshit. So it feels like they're losing tricks. They lost Buster Olney, at least for a part of this week. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw this, but I'll just read it off so I don't <laughs> so I don't add my own slant to what Buster was saying. Uh, he tweeted, a lot of club staffers and agents strongly believe a draft lottery will have only a slight impact on MLB's tanking problem. So this is the draft lottery that I was talking about where the the union originally proposed that the eight worst teams would have equal likelihood in the lottery or, you know, slightly various, slightly variant likelihood at getting the top pick versus just it going in straight order of how bad you were in the previous season. Buster tweeted, what is really needed, they believe, is a more direct mechanism to compel teams to spend on payroll rather than pocketing the money and accept the losing. Uh I say, Buster, welcome aboard. I don't know why you needed to talk to a lot of club staffers and agents to realize that, but that's what everybody has been saying all along, that of course teams could, teams in the bottom third especially, but really teams in the bottom half or two-thirds of payroll, of course they could be spending much closer to the luxury tax. That's why they have revenue sharing, and that's why we set the tax at what we set the tax at. and then. Buster, in a reply to someone else, said, yes, under the current system, tanking makes sense because if you slash payroll and aim to be awful, then at the very least, you make a lot of money, which is more important to some of these teams than competing. Now, that's it. at at the (laughs) risk of drawing too much from a Buster-only reply tweet, I do think that when when like a Buster-only type who very often finds himself carrying water for owners just by nature of his view on the industry, having been so deeply embedded in it for so long and who he talks to and who he gets his very obviously gets his tips from when he finds himself logicking himself, his way into saying something like that, which is a, which is a repeated union talking point and a repeated tipping pitches talking point. I think the owners like it's reasonable to assume that the owners have themselves a PR problem. Like there are thousands of people canceling, MLB TV subscriptions right now. It's a it's a total shitstorm. Yeah, I mean, I and it's tough because the the owners have actually received some of these concessions from the players, right, without really needing to make any movement on their own, which is which is tough, right? Because you've already that already kind of shifts the playing field a little bit. It, you know, the players give up a, a tiny bit of their leverage in that and you know the owners can very well kind of you know effectively let the let the players negotiate against themselves right and and hope that their uh, proposals are are whittled down due to sheer attrition over the next few weeks right and then and then they can actually come to the table and start and start talking and say okay we'll we'll be serious about this now now that now that we've made you guys like cut your proposals in half so like it's not like nothing that the owners are doing is working, but uh, uh, like on you know in their favor. But it does seem like they're they're losing in the court of public opinion. Maybe <laughs> maybe more than they were say a month ago. Certainly more than they were 
three months ago. Yeah. I just don't think they care about that. And I think that that's why we're dealing with a, a kind of really explosive labor sports, sports labor situation here. Because I think that the MLB owners are uniquely positioned in that they're not as powerful relative to their workforce as the NFL owners are. And they are more powerful relative to their workforce than the NBA owners are relative to the star power of their workforce. I'll say you could probably debate that last point, but they think that they can't be had at the table and they're so far removed from the court of public opinion, which we just spent the last 15 to 20 minutes talking about how they're now losing in the court of public opinion. I think it'll be years before they ever even realize that, which is why I think that this negotiation has not gone the way a lot of people in media, the way that you and I hoped that it might have, because I don't think that they actually have anyone holding their feet to the fire. None of them were in the room in 1994 and 1995 when this went wrong, when this went haywire and they lost a whole season or not a whole season, but when they lost the second half of a season and a playoffs, a postseason. None of them remember a time when baseball had to actually be a thing that made them money so that they could pay their bills. And so they're just so insulated from any kind of fan pressure, any kind of respect for the players and the, the other people on the other side of the table. And even though I'm not in the room, it's so easy to tell that you put a $1 million increase to your CBT across the table on the same day that the players make objectively the largest moves that they've made of this whole process. Like that, that just tells me there's no respect. There's no desire to keep this going. It's like a complete and total contempt for anyone else in the room, anyone else in the industry, anyone else who's involved in baseball or has a vested interest in baseball. The owners just have a complete total contempt for them. Yeah. They really are, are uninterested in the greater health and well-being of the game, right? Because you could argue that having opening day is like a relatively important thing for the sport of baseball to have, especially when you're worried about waning popularity and worried about losing gate receipts. Like you'd think that would that self-imposed threat would light a fire under the raft asses. Or maybe you won't. <laughs> or maybe you wouldn't. I'm like, maybe you're naive to think that, right? Like, I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's we're kind of at throw your hands up hours here mm-hmm. with what with what's going on because there's still so much left to be done and there's not enough time to do it at the deadline that they set. You're, it's kind of like when you have a paper due at midnight and it's like 11:15 and you still have like 10 pages to write. Mm-hmm. Do you just do you stop entirely and do you kind of reset and try to? ask your teacher for an extension or do you work right up to 1159? Like it's that same sort of brain melting catch 22 that we're trying to describe and absorb as fans, as you and I are fans too. I wonder, do you think that we're going to be coming together on Wednesday or Thursday of this week to record another supplementary pod because Rob Manfred has come out and said, no, we're not bargaining anymore. We're going to miss the whole season or Rob Manfred has come out and said, we just struck a deal. Or do you think that we're just going to keep getting drip, 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 and we'll just wait until next Monday to record? 
if if there if there's no movement tomorrow, I don't really see why there would be any significant movement like a day or two later, right? Like if they if they have already conceded that they are going to be missing games and accepted that reality, then yeah. Then it's kind of like why did you you know, why would you miss the deadline otherwise, right? You know, if you were just going to make a deal a couple days later. So something tells me we might be back here next week kind of throwing our hands up in similar fashion. Well, I hope that this is at least an entertaining product for people who are listening to us throw our hands up via audio form. Um, We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll answer some more questions about the events of the last week. Okay, Alex, ready to answer some questions from the lovely friends of the pod? I am ready, and they usually ask ones that are uh, that are more fun for me to answer than than yours at the beginning of the podcast, which <laughs> usually just kind of throw me into a bit of an existential tailspin. I like to, you know, knock you off your feet a little bit right as we're starting the pod, just to kind of get a dazed and confused Alex for the first 30 minutes so that you can bring it all the way home by the end once the sort of concussive symptoms have worn off. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I'd love to listen to myself at the beginning of the podcast versus at the end of the podcast. Um, This first question comes from Devin. Devin asks, would be curious to hear your thoughts on whether it even makes sense for the PA to keep negotiating at this point, given the situation. You want to take a stab at this? Does it make, does it make sense? Is it required? I mean, it does make sense to keep negotiating. It doesn't make sense to negotiate against yourself. Like, I thought the way that you described that like 15 minutes ago, Alex, was was right in that I think that the owners think that things are going well. Like, I think that they would rehire Rob Manfred if they had to, you know, like if this was a normal situation and he was your lawyer. I think that the next case that the owners had that they would rehire him because the PA has already dropped a lot of the quote-unquote radical things that you said that you were never going to accept. And now if the owners start to move, now they're only moving from a point that the PA was halfway at versus their full ask. So if you're the PA, does it make sense from a game theory perspective? No. But this is why collective bargaining agreements are so hard to negotiate and win and truly be satisfied about when you're a worker under capitalism is because the ownership side, the management side has the ability to just sit there and wait and say, nah, we don't want to give you that. No, we don't want to give you that. No, we, we don't want to give you that. And what are you going to say? Your, your only power in this situation is withhold your labor. So the players could say, no, we're not going to propose anything more. And this lockout can go to a stalemate and we can send this to the courts to end this. But then we don't get baseball for potentially like two years. And these guys are baseball players. They want to play baseball. Yeah, I yeah, I would wonder how much the players would actually really want to miss. Like I can't imagine them. I mean, I can't imagine them wanting to miss any games, but I can't imagine them wanting to see this bleed over into 2023 or beyond. Like that would I mean, you want to talk about catastrophic for the sport. That would that would be brutal. And I think that the that the players ultimately recognize that right recognize the 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 best interests of the sport so to speak and are kind of negotiating on that principle but you know 
it might be nice for them to throw the middle finger back every once in a while. Well, to me, it's so frustrating that <laughs> the worker side always has to think about what it will look like to the public, you know, like that the players have to think about what this will mean for the long term health of the game because they are the ones associated with the game, which is the entire reason, period, as to why they should be getting whatever they want when it comes to baseball. And yet they're not because the structure of all industry is ridiculous. That's one thing. The other thing is, this is why it's so frustrating that we even have a lockout to begin with because it didn't need to be this way. Like, we could have just been playing under the previous CBA. If ultimately where we're going to end up landing is somewhere near the previous CBA, then it wasn't that urgent of an issue for the owners to lock the players out and set that tone and then wait 43 days to even respond and give a proposal. Like We could have just been chugging along as slowly as we are right now, and it wouldn't have felt so doomsday. It wouldn't have been so frustrating because everybody could have been preparing for a season like normal. And the owners are, were afraid of doing that because they were afraid that the players would call a strike vote. But you're only afraid of the players calling a strike vote if you're doing actions that frustrate them to the point that they're going to call a strike vote like they did in 1994. Like you have the ability to stop that from happening, but you can't trust yourself. Like You can't trust yourself in collective bargaining negotiations to not piss the other side off enough to call a strike midway through a season that they are playing and want to be playing? I respect that they're self-aware. I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> like that, that's what's so frustrating to me about this question and, and, and whether or not the PA should be continuing to give proposals back and forth. Because yeah, they're by nature how, how these things work. You eventually bargain against what you want. Like that, that's how it works. It sucks, but that's what happens most of the time. Yeah. All right, let's go to a voicemail. Hey, Alex and Bobby, this is Izzy, a long-time listener. Uh, just want to say at first, like, you guys really have the right podcast for the moment, mixing ba- baseball and labor. Totally the right moment. Maybe there should be more lockouts. Anyway, uh wanted to call about two things. The first is, what sense has there been for you guys about solidarity around players? Like, they're all in a union. They're negotiating. They're bargaining. Do you think players have taken something away from this and applying it to their feelings on other unions or politics generally? I don't know. I think I've seen a few people on social media, but it's not like I'm seeing Max Scherzer stating his support for striking workers or organizing workers at Starbucks. So I don't know. Love your thoughts on that. The second piece is, how do you feel about baseball players just on politics generally? Given the demographics of especially the white players of being good old Southern boys, they don't really see, like, do I really want to know what they're thinking? I'm not sure. Like, you get your Trevor Bowers, and I've had enough of him, so do you really want more? Anyway, love your guys' thoughts on this, love your show, and can't wait to listen more. Take care. Bye. Great question, Izzy. Thank you for calling in. Um, I think baseball players' politics generally suck. <laughs> that's kind of that's kind of the summation of my, of my thoughts on them. Um, but I do think there's been a shift, not even just over the course of the lockout, but over the, the course of the last two years, that has radicalized players at least on their own front, right? And we have maybe have not seen it 
extended too often to other industries, to to solidarity outside of the baseball world. But it's not completely non-existent. There are players who are showing solidarity with, you know, food service workers and that sort of thing at at a baseball stadium. Um, frankly, I think that the last couple of years have probably done much more to radicalize minor leaguers than major leaguers because they're the the conditions that they live in and what's at stake for them is much more dire is much closer in line with how the average American is treated by their boss or, or at least I think most people can maybe see themselves in their shoes a little bit more, but I don't, I, I don't think we're going to see baseball players like canvassing for Bernie in 2024, you know, <laughs> like I'm not sure we're there yet. I don't, I don't know how much the second question matters. Like I, I agree that we don't want to hear players thoughts on electoral politics, but I don't, most of the time don't think electoral politics are even going to change anything. Like most days, if you ask me, I wouldn't be like a baseball player saying that he supports this candidate in the house race is going to change society. Mm -hmm. I'll say like when you're in a, when you're in a union together, it doesn't really matter what your fellow union mates politics are. You're supposed to stand together no matter what, like you're united by the fact that you are all workers together, no matter what. And I think that in some respect, I think that the, the baseball union is like a pretty good example of that. I don't know how many unions I can think of where there are like that many disparate world experiences that lead you into that specific of a union, you know, like people from all over the entire world coming together in a union and in a, in a weird one at that, which doesn't have any real correlation to any other part of society, I think is one of the reasons why like a lot of labor people give a shit about the baseball MLB players association and the, the history of it and how it came to be and how they took back a lot of power from an incredibly powerful group of, of owners. Um, now to, to the first question that Izzy asks, I think that it sucks that baseball players and the, the players association doesn't do more when it comes to the labor movement, because to be frank, they have a ton of money and a huge public platform. And if it were normalized to talk about their involvement as labor in American society, more than just every six years when we're talking about a collective bargaining negotiation, I think that that would not only like improve the likelihood that people treated them that way, as opposed to just treating them as spoiled rich millionaires who play a kid's game every time we talk about these things, but I think that it would just make it more likely that people would know this dynamic when they see it in the real world. And I don't think that as a union, they wield their collective power in that way enough. I think that, like you said, there are the same guys who, in a one-off way, go out of their way to give a shit about striking workers when it affects baseball or not. And it's, it's Sean Doolittle... And it's Colin McHugh and it's Jerry Blevins. And it's all of those same guys that we have talked about on this show ad nauseum. And I think that given how much the union has done for players in the long run, 
I think that they could probably ask players to like show more support for other other unions who are having public fights within the labor movement. But what are you going to do? What are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> Not every union cares about the people who aren't as well off as them as right. much as yeah. they should. I mean, yeah, this is this is where you kind of these two competing ideas bump up against each other, right? Which is that baseball players are in their industry, they are the labor. And so in, in that sense, they the organizing of themselves and and negotiating and bargaining is a is a political act. And also many of them do make millions of dollars and <laughs> by and large are probably somewhat disconnected from with what's going on in the rest of the country. Right. So like Yeah. I, do I, mean, I wish I, that the Screen like, Actors Guild would come out and support retail workers? Yeah. Do I wish that, you know, the Directors Guild would support Starbucks union? Like, yeah, I right. wish a lot of things about a lot of unions. Yeah. I think there's I think there's limits to you know, with any any rich person's politics. Like they're you know, they'll let you down eventually. It's okay. It's <laughs> fine. Okay. Uh since you brought up minor leaguers, we got we got a question about minor leaguers too. Hello, this is Muley Abbey, first-time caller, recent first-time listener. Uh, I sort of dove into you a little bit back when you uh, had the CBA ABCs and I saw a recommendation. You've been nothing but great. I had a question about unionizing the minors. When it comes to actually practically getting it done, I know the MLB has the big exemption uh, monopoly, which is being challenged, and I know that's being challenged by minor league teams, but I don't know if that actually interferes at all with minor league players uh, assembling a, and organizing as a union. Um, I'm just confused. I don't know exactly how that works. Uh, interested to find out. Thank you so much. Bye. Yeah, so this is a tough question. So. Actually, full so full transparency, Alex and I are, are planning a podcast in the near to medium future talking about what it would look like for minor leaguers to unionize. And this will be one of the questions. One of the questions being, how much can MLB do to push back? They've already done so much. They've already crushed so many young men's hopes and dreams about making it uh, comfortably in the minor leagues and then eventually onto Major League Baseball. Um, the antitrust exemption does not prevent minor leaguers from unionizing i i would guess that it gives them uh it gives mlb and the mlb clubs a little bit more leeway in what they can do to collectively prevent minor leaguers from forming that union you know in terms of their union busting strategies but there's nothing about the ruling and the antitrust exemption that full stop prevents minor leaguers from forming a union um though i would guess that on the flip side of that conversation, if the antitrust exemption did get taken away, I could see a world where like that creates the momentum for minor leaguers to then be like, MLB's reeling. MLB's on the ropes. <laughs> Let's try to form this union now. While, while this tidal wave of public opinion is kind of against these colluding Major League Baseball teams. Well, and it matters with regard to minor league pay as right. well, right? Because because they have this antitrust exemption, the 30 teams can come together and and legally collude against 
minor leaguers, right? And say, we're going to set the salary, the wages for you guys. We've all agreed on this. You don't have a say in it. You, uh, you know, we're going to do whatever we can to make sure you exempt from minimum wage laws, uh, et cetera. And if that antitrust exemption is gone, there are far more legal pathways to actually making a claim that the owners are are paying the minor leaguers illegally. They're that yeah. they're fix that they're fixing wages um, in a way that is <laughs> just criminal. So that feels like the 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 big part for me, right? And it would, uh, you know. St- as you said, maybe not directly impact the push for a union, but it would certainly open up ways for the minor leaguers to actually address some of these issues that so far they're unable to do outside of a union. Yeah, I think that you would have, if the antitrust exemption was gone tomorrow, I think that you would have far more, a much quicker push for class action lawsuits defending minor league players than you would for like a a real true unionization push. But when you have a class action lawsuit and everybody is involved in the same legal process, it does create pathways for you to meet the proper people that could eventually help you organize into a union. Like one of the biggest challenges for the minor leaguers is guys don't spend a lot of time in the same place in the minor leagues. They get shuffled around a lot. There's a lot of pressure to conform. Um, You have a lot of like barriers to entry to the conversation of what it takes to unionize. You're not always in the same place with all of the people who would be unionized alongside you. And it just becomes a huge logistical challenge. And if if the antitrust exemption went away tomorrow, like I said, and every single minor leaguer is suddenly getting a bunch of emails from whoever organizes a class action lawsuit against Major League Baseball, hey, why don't we just all reply all and say, you guys want to form a union? <laughs> <laughs> um, it obviously would not go that easily, but that's the kind of thing that the antitrust exemption gives cover to MLB clubs to do, to just kind of suppress a lot of that activity. Okay, should we go to the next question? Yeah. Hi, guys. Uh, this is Brian from New Jersey. Um, I had a quick question um, about some sort of uh, minor league uh, player compensation that I hadn't really heard discussed anywhere. And it has to do with um, with licensing, um, I know that, you know, for the major leaguers, the MLBPA handles licensing. And I'm wondering if there is a um, equivalent for minor league players. I know that a couple of years ago, um, there was some stories about how MLB The Show was able to use the um, likenesses of minor league players in the game without having to... Um, compensate them and I'm kind of wondering about um merchants acts now because I've noticed that my local affiliate um the the Somerset Patriots for the Yankees they're selling jerseys for some you know notable prospects and I'm wondering are they getting paid for it so um I've done a little bit of a searching and I couldn't find any information on my own so I was hoping maybe you might be able to fill me in Thanks so much. Keep up the good work. Brian, I'm glad you asked. What a fantastic question that illustrates um, the total and immoral hypocrisy of Major League Baseball owners. Uh, So it's a good question because the Players Association for Major Leaguers 
negotiates their likeness deals with places like MLB The Show uh, or Out of the Park Baseball, any of these places where you see a player's name, image, jersey, all of that used or sold or disseminated or all of those other legal terms. For minor leaguers, they are forced to forfeit the rights to their name, image, and likeness when they execute their uniform player contract. So the UPC is the contract that every minor leaguer has to sign that says the club owns your rights for seven years. They only have to pay you $1,500 a month for your first level. Like all of these things that specify all of the heinous ways that clubs treat minor leaguers. And there's a subsection of that contract that says pictures of player. And in that, it details here. I'll read you the first sentence very quickly. Player agrees beginning with the date that this minor this minor league uniform player contract is executed that photographs, whether still or action, and motion pictures may be taken and any form of telecast made of the player individually or with others at such time or places as club may designate and agrees that all rights therein shall belong to club and that they may be used, reproduced, or otherwise disseminated or published by club directly or indirectly, for any purpose, in any manner, at any time. And you are also not allowed to use your own name, image, and likeness in association with the club to make money. So you can't, without the permission of the club, you can't be in a local commercial as a member of the minor league team or as a prospect and make money off of that. Does that make sense? (laughs) You give up all of your rights. (laughs) Yes, in that short, actually, you give up every tracks. single right that you should have that, that even NCAA players have now. This obviously led to the demise of EA Sports, NCAA football uh, games a few years ago because <laughs> of the the nasty world of uh, college sports. But, but this sounds about right. I would have been shocked if minor league players actually got compensated no. for for this absolutely um, not every time if you buy a minor league jersey with a player's name they're not making that money yeah and there's nothing there's you can't really do anything about that right like you're not you can't negotiate your way out of that sort of thing no because they're never going to give that right to one guy here and there because then that, that will give them a legal precedent to take that out of a contract well hey you're giving it to that guy why don't you give it to me and you'll have more and more minor leaguers pushing back on signing the uniform player contract or that part of the uniform player contract. More agents will be able to say, well, Vlad Guerrero Jr. has that taken out of his uniform player contract. The reason that it's a uniform player contract is that everybody has to sign it high or low prospect. doesn't matter. And then the way that they skirt around that and the reason that some players who have much more leverage are still okay with signing that is they just give them huge signing bonuses. It's nice. Just throw cash at the problem because they have the cash. They just don't want to evenly distribute it so that they can save a little more of it. If you're Michael Jordan, you can negotiate out of the uniform player <laughs> contract, which is, which is what he did in 1994. Wait, should we do a whole episode about that? About Michael Jordan not signing a uniform player contract? Yeah. I mean, I don't know all of the details on it, but I suppose that's all the more reason to, uh, I didn't to mean, do an episode. Should we start that whole episode right now? <laughs> you're allowed to read about <laughs> it before we do that. I think that would be fun. I agree. Uh, we're you know we're we're kind of 
We're teasing a lot of ideas here on the podcast as of Just, late. A lot of talks about episodes coming we're down calling, the We're calling dibs. We're calling dibs on those ideas. Nobody right, else exactly. do that. The best thing about doing a niche labor baseball podcast is that nobody steals your ideas. Because <laughs> so nobody has put in the time to build up an audience about of people who care about stuff like this. Like our wonderful listeners. Um, thank you, Brian, for calling and asking about that and hearing that terrible, awful, depressing answer. Uh, just time for maybe two-ish more. Two more questions. Hi, boys. Um, this is Jack. I was curious um, how you guys feel about how uh, Max Scherz is slowly becoming a labor leader and, if anything, an iconic labor leader. Um, yes, yeah, basically, I just want to hear your thoughts on that. Thanks, boys. Great pod. Max Scherzer, labor leader, Alex. We also we also got a question from Michael on Twitter. Does Mad Max scare the owners? What do you make of uh, Mad Max Scherzer, the new Jimmy Hoffa? About as intimidating, albeit in different ways. I hope he doesn't go out like Jimmy. <laughs> He's got three more years to play for the Mets. Right? Yes. <laughs> That's... That's the priority. Steve there. Cohen brings him to a house in North Jersey or whatever. I don't remember actually where they brought Jimmy Hoffa. I think you could maybe make a case to um to kind of you know New York area mob members that Max Scherzer is in fact vital to the New York Mets success. Oh, yeah. And so if they could at least wait three years and then do the hit <laughs> like that, you know. <laughs> There's kind of there are some larger interests at stake here. Jesus Christ. Okay, can we answer the question? <laughs> We're getting too far off the rails. Please keep Max Scherzer safe at all times. <laughs> he seems great. I don't know. I know very little about Scherzer and how he's engaged with this process. He's one of the less active players on Twitter, although he has come out with uh, a few banger tweets in the last few weeks that seem to just kind of represent the broader sentiment among players right now it's hard to say how how militant or hardline he is though honestly in part because like i mean you saw the car he drove up in right like can he really effectively negotiate driving a car that expensive (laughs) driving a driving a porsche like Okay, here it is. Here's the part of the podcast where we talk about the Associated Press specifying Max Scherzer was driving a Porsche and not mentioning any other cars driven to the complex in Arizona. Very rare for us to get an example of media bias that clean cut. Usually you have to try a little harder. Like this is the one that they would put across the table at in Adam Penenberg's Journalism 101, Alex. That reference was for you and you alone. Oh, Shattered Glass, be still my heart. Wow. Um, if anyone listening has seen Shattered Glass, please write in tippingpitchespot <laughs> at gmail.com so we can talk about it. Mm-hmm. No spoilers, though. Only for the people who have seen it who are going to go the extra mile to write into our email. We got stories. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hope, I hope Max is, is a good guy to have in the room. He's certainly intimidating, right? He may be more of the muscle than the than the brains behind the operation, but who knows? Scherz was an interesting leader of the Players Association. If we're to bring this actually back to the question at hand here and not about his model of Porsche and the Associated Press 
Associated Press's various interests in that model and price point and what it means for society. Um, because he's clearly like, baseball has been good to him. You know, like he's signed the mega deal. He has the mega agent. The mega deal paid off. He just signed the second mega deal. The the very rare second mega deal that we've been talking about, how owners never give that out anymore. And he's earned every single penny. He he was the best bargain imaginable for the Nationals for what he did for that franchise. And even delivering in the postseason and helping them win the World Series. Like every single penny was so, so, so worth it. Because he never talks about it, or because he doesn't is not that vocal and because he doesn't tweet about it that often. I wonder what he would say if you asked him, like, when did you want to become so involved in the union? Like, at what point did you realize this is something that you could wield your power within this game for the betterment of younger players? Because it it very clearly is like, I want to help the next guy have the same path that I had. And I'm seeing that window close faster and faster and faster year over year. And I think that that sucks. Now, Scherzer avoided arbitration. When he was with the Tigers, they settled for 3.75, 6.75, and then 15.25. That was after he had already won the Cy Young with with the Tigers. But even still, like knowing that you're winning the Cy Young while you're not even a free agent yet, I think for a lot of guys that has to be pretty radicalizing. Now to the second question from, from Twitter, to the owner's fear, Max Scherzer, if they don't, I'll have what they're having because I would certainly fear him in a small confined room <laughs> making him angry. But who knows? Maybe it's just something that he accesses on the mound. But I think that, that a lot of people have gotten a lot of good overworked Twitter jokes off about how Matt, Max Scherzer should just throttle them until they give the Players Association what they want. <laughs> Again, I'm not trying to make a deal with him. Steve Cohen just did it. Just give him what he wants. And then we can all move on and everyone will be happy. There you go. Steve, get in the room, bro. Get in the room. Make a deal. Yeah, stop letting Dick Mon- Monfort take the mic. Clearly. Clearly. If there's one owner who doesn't want to make a deal, it's the guy who traded... <laughs> Every star he's ever had. And then forgot to trade Trevor Story and is still not going to give him a deal. It's the guy who paid money to give away Nolan Arenado. That's not the guy who's going to make the deal. Steve Cohen, on the other hand, the guy who lost you know $50 million on a GameStop short, he's willing to just let the margins be what they are. <laughs> right. I mean, that's part of deal making. Exactly. Right? You win some, Sometimes, you lose some. Yeah. Do you have any more questions for us? There are a few more questions, but we're we're running out of time here to get into the weeds on some of these questions. So I'll I'll end with a non-labor question. <gasps> non-labor. Wow. <laughs> on tipping pitches. <laughs> All right. I need to switch, the switch off that part of my brain and <laughs> switch, switch on the the himbo baseball fan <laughs> part of your brain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this comes from Turn a Pair baseball podcast. This is Turn a Pair, Chris. He says, if I gave you an RV for seven days, what college or pro teams are you visiting? Great question, Chris. A question that requires Alex to think about United States geography. (laughs) We don't get enough of those. (laughs) Yeah, catch me out here uh, firing up Google Maps just so I can uh, can know where 
where Des Moines, Iowa is in in relation to other uh, major league teams, it's a struggle over here. Do you have it? Do you have an answer? Do you, while I while I do my my research, so I I have been known to throw a, a touch of shade at college baseball in the past. Don't remember if I've ever done that on the podcast, but I have certainly done that when you have been watching college baseball in our shared living space, or when Michael Bauman has been texting me at midnight being like turn this college baseball game on to the point where he just doesn't send those messages and he knows not to send those messages anymore um but in the last couple years i've tried to expand my baseball palette so that i am not completely at the whim of major league baseball for obvious reasons for the for the last 86 minutes of this podcast we we know why i've done that um i still think given carte blanche to just take off for a week drive see something that is a completely different experience. I actually think that I would want to try to take a run through the Southeast, the SEC softball slate because softball is such a different, both TV, but I think in-person experience too. Um, Just a different speed, slightly different incentive structure for how to play the game. So there's like more slap hitting, more bunting, I think that the pitchers are much bigger storylines in softball than in baseball now as there's sort of been like the denigration of the starting pitcher, which is not really the case in softball. And I think that I would take a run through the SEC as much as I could get done in seven days because many of the best college softball teams are in the SEC and it just seems like a riot to be down there for one of those games. Yeah, that would be a blast. Um, And there are certainly some powerhouse college baseball teams that you can hit as well yeah Um, give me give me a florida doubleheader yeah exactly go see what vandy's up to i think i may end up doing a trip down the east coast um coastal elite alex strikes again just refuses to go to the heartland right which is yeah it's not it's not super surprising he's given a dream scenario the rv and everything (laughs) seven days and he still won't leave the coast (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, no, I mean, I there's just I think a, a great array of baseball that you can find. I would love to go to the Cape Cod League. Yeah, um, we were like and eight feet away from that last summer and didn't go. But yes, yeah. yes, we were. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and not to mention there are plenty of uh, good baseball programs um, in and around the area. You know, as long as I'm getting out of New York City itself in which there's literally no baseball to watch right now. Wow. Um, Will New York City burnout on the pod? Yeah. Are you going to write man. a think piece for the Atlantic? Right. Why I'm leaving New York? You- because it doesn't have enough college <laughs> baseball teams. Why I'm leaving New York in an RV to see the Cape Cod League. Right. To see the Durham Bulls. Yeah. 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 I want to check out like North Carolina baseball. Yeah. Um, we should go see the Durham Bulls this year. That'd be fun. That that would be fun. You yeah. you and I have talked about doing like a little mini minor league tour, uh, in the summer, potentially the summer of 2022, but maybe the summer of 2023. But all of that to say, this question does not completely come out of the blue. It's something that we've considered doing because there are so many little pockets of baseball that we've just had no no experience with. Yeah, best believe that if if this was a real scenario, I would spend countless hours. In a fucking spreadsheet, yeah, just this trying is, to figure your, this out this is what your is, fucking bag, dude. This is your wheelhouse. What is what is like statistically speaking 
what is the best, like most efficient route you can take, right? Only seven days, that's not a lot of time. You're not hitting more than a few cities in there. And even then, (laughs) at best, you can maybe pack in two games a day. If you're, you're lucky. Still have to drive. If, you if you're lucky, to, you're, you're not good high you're school not do program that every that day. <laughs> right. Yes, exactly. Well, you know what? It'll make you appreciate the the major league baseball that you do see. Yeah. If there's any that exists. <laughs> if. Big if. Um, <laughs> right. We might be doing several seven-day trips to see different types of baseball this year. <laughs> <laughs> be a lot of free time and free and capital that's freed up with uh with no New York Metropolitan baseball. It is a little bit freeing. You know, don't get crazy. Yeah, I know. I actually, I thought about it for a second, uh, and and the the prospect of not having baseball like washed over me, and I felt instant regret. This is the part of the podcast where I say, opening day is literally supposed to fall on my birthday, and if it doesn't happen on time, it will ruin my birthday. Twenty six. Guess what? Get off your parents' health care, and you don't even have baseball. <laughs> Oh my gosh, we're devolving. Anything else? You want to move tax day to that day? Anything else? You want to restart the student loans on March 31st? Oh, don't give them any ideas. Jesus Christ. You know, I'm I'm on board with with these road trips. And if you the listener have ideas, maybe you have done this sort of trip yeah. before. Yeah. Send them in to us. We'd love to hear about it. Uh, we're 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 always looking for ideas. I'll open your spreadsheet, tippingpitchespod at gmail dot com. I'll listen to your voicemail. Max cap three minutes as long as you can leave a voicemail. Don't go longer <laughs> than that. Seven eight five four two two five eight eight one. I will read your DM tipping underscore pitches on Twitter. We may be back later this week if there is significant news about the collective bargaining agreement. If there is not, we will be back tried and true next monday thank you for listening hello everybody uh i'm alex rodriguez tipping pitches tipping pitches this is the one that i love the most tipping pitches so we'll see you next week see ya